0: If you didn't catch all of that information, we'll be putting it on Facebook later, on social media later, but also if you need that phone number or that text in, word and you missed it, it's in the worship program or you can stop at the Welcome Center sometime this morning and we can get you some information that you need to, if your family's interested in being a part of one of those mission trips together. They're fantastic. You know, I often get asked this question quite often. It's, the, it, it's a tough question. It's one that's hard to answer, but it's always the question of how do I know what God's will and his plan is for my life? Most people will say things like, you know, I I want to follow his will, I want to do what I am supposed to do, but I just am having a hard time hearing what that is. It's like, I I just don't know what to do. And so, uh, you know, Kevin DeYoung, this author, he says that when it comes to discovering God's will, his plan for your life, you and I oftentimes think in terms of God's will of direction. Direction That means we're looking at questions like, well, where do I go and what am I supposed to do? Those directional things in life. And those are good questions. They're important questions. And we all want to make sure, especially if you are a Christ follower, you want to make sure that you're going where God wants you to go and you're doing what God wants you to do. Those are good things. But this morning, I want to argue to you that that isn't the most important question in your life. I think the most important question, one more than what God's will of direction is, is what are your desires? Because here's the deal. Some of us can get so stressed out and so anxious and worry so much about whether or not we're going where we're supposed to go and doing what we're supposed to do that we end up not going or doing anything at all. We just, we just stay put because we're waiting. I think our desires are what is important. In fact, Kevin DeYoung calls this God's will of desire. Meaning this, we're asking critical questions like, how am I living? And who am I becoming? It's those questions that address the quality of our lives. The questions that address our character, our morality, our integrity. It emphasizes the goal of becoming more like Jesus, which ultimately Isn't that the biggest goal that you and I have in our lives, is to become more like Jesus? And so Paul, when he was writing this letter uh, to the Thessalonian people in 1 Thessalonians, he he addresses some of these things. Paul lays out for them this kind of plan, this, this map for how you and I can discover God's will of desire in our lives. And so he jumps into 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I, I want to tell you this before I, before I take you there, and I, I, hope you, I hope you hear my heart this morning. Word of warning, some of the things that Paul shares in this chapter are difficult. Some of the things that Paul shares in this chapter are hard to hear. Some of it is challenging to you and I. Some of what Paul shares in this chapter is hard to teach. Promise you. Some of what Paul teaches in this chapter is going to make you uncomfortable, and quite honestly, it might even frustrate you. And so, I just want to say this before before I share what Paul shares. I am not teaching this from a heart of judgment or a heart of condemnation. I am teaching this from a heart of faithfulness and obedience, and one that I hope will encourage you in your journey to be more like Jesus. So I hope you hear my heart on this before we jump in, because it's challenging. But with that said, let me jump in. This is how he begins, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says this, Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you, in the name of the Lord Jesus, to live in a way that pleases God, as we have taught you. You live this way already, and we encourage you to do so even more. So Paul's saying, look, you're doing a good job, but I want to encourage you even more. He expresses to the Thessalonian people here that the best possible life that they can live, a life that thrives, a life that pleases God, is one where they truly are living out a pleasing life to Him. And he says here, I urge you, I urge you, this is a critical word, this word urge. And in fact, in the Greek, it, it comes from two verbs put together, the verbs of requesting and exhorting. That, that means he is appealing to them to live this way. He's asking them to live this way. He's begging them to live this way. He's, uh, he's pleading and appealing to them, please live this way. He's not saying, hey, if you feel like it, live this way. He's saying, no, 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 this is critical that you live this way, he's saying. I urge you, I urge you. And then he goes on to say this, for you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. You remember what we taught you. This is a, a stronger way of even emphasizing living a life that pleases God. In fact, John Stott, he says this about this phrase that we see here. He said, it's often used either for a military command For civil order, for example, by a court or a magistrate. Meaning he means business when he says these things. He's serious. He's he's taking a strong statement here. And I'm wondering, why does he begin so strong? Why is he so forceful with these people when he's looking at this? And I think there's a couple reasons why he's so forceful. One is because he knows how forgetful we are. You and I are forgetful. And it makes sense because you and I come with a built-in sinful nature, that sinful nature that conditions us to live a life for ourselves, a life of selfishness. We need reminded over and over and over again to align our lives with God's ways. We all need those reminders. But I also think more than just being reminded, he also that tells us this so strong because he knows that beyond a shadow of a doubt, beyond a shadow, when we do live this way, it's going to lead you to a life like you could never imagine. It's going to lead you to a life of joy, a life of freedom, a life that thrives. And if you want to live a life of following God's will and plan and a life that truly thrives, then here's Paul's plan. I hope you're ready, because out of nowhere, he starts dropping some bombs. So here's what he says. that way, number one, God's will for you is to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor. Not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife. For the Lord avenges all all such sins. As we have solemnly warned you before, God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. I read that and I stopped and I went, okay, I have to teach this. And, and I went, this is, this is big, Paul. He, I think he starts with the hardest way first. And I get why he puts this at the top of his list for how we can live a life that pleases God. Because, look, if you think back, if you put yourself back to their culture in this Roman Greco culture that Paul lived, there were some serious problems. Sexual immorality was rampant in that day and age. It was out of control. There didn't seem to be any boundaries in this area whatsoever. People were doing anything and everything they could in order to fulfill their own desires. And often that meant breaking their marital vows with their husbands and wives. This was a big deal. That honor... That respect, that sacrifice, that self-control, all of those things that come with marriage, they they didn't seem to be giving it a second thought. To which then I kind of shook my head and went, man, it kind of sounds like our culture today, too. Because I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but we have this little thing in our culture I think even makes this worse. Technology. The thing that you can pull up pictures and videos in the palm of your hand at a moment's notice. The thing where you can download apps and you can meet people within hours, often without your spouse knowing or you can send texts or messages that can be deleted keeping everything secret. We have this ability at the palm of our hand and the truth of this, we have forgotten that our spouses are a treasure and treasures are to be valued and protected and we've somehow become content with trading in our treasure for lies and deceit. It's dangerous. And what's so scary is that we do this, and sometimes we don't even think twice about it. Sometimes it's even embraced and encouraged in our culture. This is scary. But like we said before, if you remember, we think back a few weeks in our wisdom literature, when we looked at what Solomon had to say, he says, look, we can ignore these things, and we can go along with them, but sooner or later, they have dire consequences, Devastating consequences. Remember when we were looking at the wisdom literature in Proverbs, Solomon said these words, For the lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. He's saying, look, it seems good. It seems like something you want. It seems like something that we should go after. But then he follows it up with this. He says, but in the end, she's as bitter as poison, as dangerous as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. Meaning, look, it seems good. It seems like a good pathway you want to go down right up until it isn't. And then it has adverse effects. It leads to consequences. Consequences that strangle your soul and literally lead you to death. Death of the relationships of people that we love and we care for the most. And I wish I could say I was exaggerating these statements. I wish I could say that, and you might even be sitting there today, and you might even be looking up at me and going, geez, chill out, Pastor. This isn't such a big deal. I didn't hurt anything. I didn't hurt anybody. I, I, there, it's, in fact, my wife, she doesn't even mind. Well, I'm telling you right now, if that's you, you are trading in your treasure for a lie, because it is a big deal. It is hurting people. The people you love and care about the most. And that is why she's sad. And that is why she's anxious. That is why she's closed off and disconnected and leaving. And this isn't just for men. This is for all of us in this room. This is, this is the real deal here. But Paul says, here's the good news. Paul says there's another way. We don't have to go down this road. In fact, this other way that Paul sets up, it may not be celebrated or embraced in our culture. In fact, you might even get ridiculed for it. If you're a middle school student, a high school student, or a young adult in this room, then you know what I'm talking about. Because when you live a way that countercultural, when you go down the path that Paul is suggesting you go down, it can lead you to a pathway of some pain and ridicule. You know that better than anyone in this room. But there is a better way, I promise you. It'll be a way that sets you free. So the alternative, Paul says, is to embrace God's plan for our lives, which means this. He goes on to say, God's will for you is to what? To be holy. It's to be holy. In fact, he says this in this verse seven, God's called us to live holy lives. Holy, this is a word that that is, is similar to a, a, a kind of a churchy word we call sanctification. It means to be set apart. It literally means that we are, are becoming more and more and more like Jesus every single day. We're becoming more like him in our thoughts and our desires and our words and our emotions and with our bodies every single day. We should look different. We are set apart. If we don't look different, there's a problem. We ought to look different, but the good news is this, that this is a partnership because God is going to do his part and do whatever it takes to make sure that he achieves the results in our lives that he wants. And that means that we must do our part to follow his plan and his ways in our life too. Paul says, if we're going to follow these ways, that includes staying away from sexual sin. And then he lays out, what this ought to specifically look like. Look at the next verse. He says, then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. You know, I can remember this illustration from when I was young. Um, it's an illustration that stuck with me all these years. It's, it's of uh, a piece of China. Now, this Is not my china. I don't possess anything that is nearly this expensive. This is actually uh, Meg's china. She let me borrow it. This is from her wedding day. So to say that I'm a little antsy holding it is an understatement. The last thing I want to do is break this because if I did, I'm a dead man. This is precious, it's valuable. Not just valuable because of the money that is in it, but the value and the worth of, of what it means and who it is and who owns it. This is hers and it's special. I'm going to take care of it. I mean, what on earth would you think if I, if I just started like throwing this stuff in the air or I tried to juggle it? And if I toss it out to you and said, hey, toss it around the room, let's play catch with Meg's china. That would be ridiculous. It would be irresponsible. And yet, when we see the Roman Greco culture that Paul lived, and when we see the culture that we live in now, that is exactly what we do with our bodies. And Jesus says, there's there's so much more. There's so much more than that. Do you not understand the value that you have? The worth that you are? If for no other reason, because you are uniquely created by God, you are special. In fact, I know this because Ephesians 2:10 tells us we are God's masterpiece, meaning you have great value. You are precious. You are a child of God. You are a treasure, not just a vehicle for pleasure. You are a treasure. And you really want to know how fragile sex is, and this is the last thing I will say, I promise, and then we'll move on. It is so valuable when Paul was writing to the church of Corinth, who seemed to be struggling in this area. And Paul challenges them with his letter. And in his letter, he wrote these words He said, Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her body? Now, all of us, when we read this, the first word that we hear is prostitute. That's the one that jumps out. That's the one we pay attention to. That's the one that catches our attention. But could I, just for a moment, point you to another word here that I think is even more provocative? It's that word unites. It's the word unite. And I think, why is unite so critical? Well, the original language of this word means to be glued or cemented together. It's literally like taking two pieces of metal and welding them together. That is the word unite. It is bonding. There's a permanence to this uniting. Meaning, if you try to pull it apart, there is damage that's going to be done to both sides. But Charles, it didn't mean anything. Yes, it did. But Charles, it didn't hurt anyone. Yes, you did. But Charles, it's not a big deal. Yes, it is. It is. And that is what makes marriage so powerful. That is why I hold such a high view of marriage. Because there's power in this uniting, in this bonding together. Sex isn't just hooking up and moving on with our lives with no regrets. It is designed to be the uniting, the bonding together of two souls in a permanence marriage. And if you pull it apart, there's going to be damage done. Anything less. And there's damage and to the other person and to you. This is why Paul says one of the main ways we honor God with our lives is controlling our bodies and our passions so that our bodies and our passions don't control us. And I wish I had time to really share my heart with you on this, and I hope you hear it this is not coming from judgment. This is coming from encouragement. Please, I hope you know that. And you might be sitting here and saying, man, this, you're being a little ridiculous today and even a little old-fashioned, and that's okay because I'm sharing with you the words of Paul who shared with you the words of Jesus. And if you want a life to follow God's will and purpose, a life that pleases Him, then he says, this is where it starts, our bodies. Thankfully, he goes on. And he gives us some other reasons I want to highlight to you today. The first one is with our bodies. The second one is this. He says, "Don't we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other, for God himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. I mean, good job. He's saying good job. But even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more more he says so I don't need to spend a lot of time here explaining this because we've talked the last couple of weeks about what it looks like to love people but I want to note this last portion that says we urge you to love them even more so Paul is saying that look you're doing a good job but we can never love people enough you can always go further when you think you can't love anymore go further When you think you've encouraged people and you're done doing that, look for more people to encourage. When you've served people and you're done doing that, look for more people to serve. When you've given to people in need and you're done doing that, look for someone else to bless and give to. This is critical. And here's the deal. That our love for others and how we show love to others is a direct result of how we view God's love for us. that, That is our model one of the most powerful verses, this is the greatest marital advice I could ever give anyone in the room, it comes from this verse right here. It is a verse in John 13, 34 that says, love one another just as I have loved you, so you ought to love one another. To which I stopped and I went, okay, God, so how did Jesus love me? If that's our standard, how did he love me? Well, right off the top of my head, I said, well, he was forgiving was gracious he was caring he was generous he gave his life for me when I was undeserving if this is our standard I think wow this is incredible and it's only when we come to the realization of what kind of love he has given us and the belief in that and the acceptance of that that we can truly in turn love other people as we ought to love them It's incredible. And finally, Paul goes on to give us other reasons of how to live a life pleasing to God. He says, with our bodies, the way we love, and then look at this number three says, Make it your goal to live a quiet life. This seems like a little bit of an oxymoron, like if you want to be ambitious, don't be ambitious. He's not saying that. What he's truly saying here is that he's referring to a life of peace, a life of, of rest. He says we honor God when we recognize that peace and rest come from him alone, not from everything else around us. And then I love this next one. Number four, he says, mind your own business. I love this because I don't know, if you've got kids in your house, you've, you've heard this more often than we care to. I think back to when my kids were little, and they used to say back and forth all the time, why don't you mind your own business? You mind your own business. And then Trisha and I would be like, why don't you both mind your own business? Everybody was minding their own business in my house, except nobody was. It's crazy. <laughs> and Paul says the same thing here. He's like, mind your own business. What he's telling them is, Look. Look, you make sure that you are living your life to honor and please God. You follow his direction, you follow his ways, you mind your own business. Take care of that. He's saying, I love that. Mind your business. And then he follows it up with this. Number five, and working with your hands, just as we instructed before, work. He says we gotta, we gotta work. In fact, this is the reason I think he includes this is because if we know the Roman Greco culture of this day, this is what was believed. It was the Greeks who despised manual work as degrading to free people and fit only for slaves. This was a big deal. But Paul was a tent maker. He worked. That was his day job. And so he would make tents, and he saw work as an opportunity. He kind of changed it around. Because look at how he says can happen when we work hard. In verse 12, he says, People who are not believers will respect the way you live, and you will not need to depend on others. And so he's saying when you approach your job as worship, not just work, things start to look different because you're honoring Jesus. Then while other people are causing problems and they're a pain in their boss's side, you are working faithfully with integrity, with, with honesty, with hard work, with excellence, and it stands out. People start noticing something's different about this person. And what is different is who you are working for. It gives you the opportunity to share why you are working that way. It's because it's for Jesus. That's it. It points people to him. But then Paul, he goes on to say also, and you will not need to depend on others. Now, this isn't a degrading comment. He's not saying, look, you're not going to have some hardships. You're not going to have some challenges. He's not saying that things are going to be perfect. Your job's always going to be awesome. We know that's not the case. We all go through down times, and that is when the church and, and friends and small groups come around you and support you and help you through those times. He's not, he's not making light of that. What he is saying here, when you don't need to depend on others, he's saying when you work, you will have the ability to care for and love people and be generous to people inside and outside the walls like you've never been before. You will be able to step up and care for others. This is incredible. So here we have five things if we want to live a life that is pleasing to God. You you literally have this at your fingertips. Living a life that pleases and honors Him in every aspect of our lives. I'll admit this. I'll admit that when I was preparing for this message, I kind of stopped for a minute, and I went, okay, um, if I'm overwhelmed. This, if, if this is the standard, who in the world can live up to this? Who in this room can hit all of these things perfectly all the time? And then I thought, yeah, if that's the case, if we're going to fail then is there forgiveness for us? Is there any kind of healing for us? Is there any kind of restoration? Is there any redemption? Is there any hope for us if this is our standard? The answer is yes. Yes, and here's how I know. I think often of this psalm. It's one of my favorite psalms I love. It comes from Psalm 37, and it says this. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. And then pay attention to this verse. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. I don't know about you, but the picture I have here, again, of of my, my little daughters when they were learning to walk. You know when you're learning to walk... Every floor seems uneven, and the world seems to be constantly in motion. And we would go for walks, and I would hold them by the hand. And inevitably, as you would walk, they stumble. And what do you do as a loving father, as a loving parent, when your kid stumbles? You squeeze their hand, and you quick pull up. Because you don't want them to skin their knee. You don't want to let them fall. So you hold them tight. And then you put them back down, and you keep walking. And then a few steps later, they stumble, and you squeeze, and you pull. That's the routine. Stumble, squeeze, pull, over and over. And I think, because I love them, I'm not going to let them fall. They will stumble, yes. But I have them by the hand. Maybe for you today, you're here, and you realize that you are stumbling in one or more of these areas. Maybe you haven't honored Him with your body. Maybe you are not loving others. Maybe your character at work isn't living up to what it ought to look like. But the good news is though you stumble, you will not fall. Because your Heavenly Father holds you by the hand. So I want to just Close with giving you a minute to pray to yourselves at your seat, and so maybe this is your prayer today. Maybe your prayer is a prayer of asking for forgiveness. Maybe you have stumbled, and and there's some work that needs to be done, and so you just you need some forgiveness. Maybe your prayer is a prayer of recommitment. Maybe your prayer is, man, I desire to live a life that pleases God and to follow His ways. I desire that I'm going to re-up to do this, to live this way. Maybe your prayer is a prayer for direction. That prayer of, man, I'm wandering and I'm a bit lost, but I needed the Lord to come help me. Where's my direction? So take a few moments just to pray quietly at your seat, and then I'll close us. Do that now. Lord, I thank you for Jesus and the incredible example that he set, the standard that he set. And Lord, although I'm grateful for that standard, it is reminding me today of how I've fallen short. So Lord, I thank you that you forgive. I thank you for your grace. I thank you that you took that on the cross with you that I deserved. Lord, help us. Help us in this. This is not easy. If it was, Paul wouldn't have had to write about it. So help us this week, Lord, as we go our separate ways throughout our families and our jobs and all the things that we do. Lord, help us to live lives that is pleasing to you. Or remind us once again that when we do stumble, you're there to catch. So help us, Lord Jesus. We love you so much. In your name I pray. Amen. I hope you have a great week, and I'll see you next weekend.
1: from right.
2: move.
3: faithfulness to me from the rising sun to the setting same i will praise your name great is your faith on the hill of calvary my savior bled for me my jesus said are forgiven my future is heaven i praise god for what he's done Of Majesty.
1: All right, Mm -hmm. because I know
3: that.